You can't always be the smartest, the fastest, or, or whatever that would be, but you actually can know the most. And all five of these people were just students of their craft. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Today on the podcast, we are doing, I think, my favorite segment. It's Iconic Reads. However, this is not a blog post. We actually took a YouTube video that Jonathan, I think you told me like seven times to watch this and I ignored you every single time because it was an hour long. But I finished watching it and I immediately rewatched it. And so we're doing an iconic read or iconic watch on a Bill Gurley talk called Running Down a Dream. So, Jonathan, when did you first watch this? It's been maybe six months, I think. And I randomly came across it. I don't know who recommended it, but I've been rewatching this for reasons I'll explain in a bit. But yeah, I think about six months ago. It's really good. I watched it twice this week. I did it this morning. I did this morning workout, which as a quick aside, I've been doing these 6.15 a.m. workouts for 30 minutes, which if it was any longer, I would not do it. But it's me and some other very fit 50-year-olds and maybe some soccer moms. But I did this workout. I just thought I crushed it today. Like the 50-year-old next to me, no big deal. I smoked him. But I got home and I'm like fired up on the workout. I'm listening to this YouTube. I look in the mirror. I still had toothpaste all around my mouth. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm working out. I was like, I am a child and my five-year-old has better bathroom etiquette than me. But anyway, I'm fired up. I have a clean mouth, worked out, and I'm excited to, to chat about this. Yeah, it feels like it feels, it must feel awesome to get that early 6.15 win. Uh, I mean, if you start with a workout, or you're being 50-year-olds, I mean, your date's off to a very good start, right? right. can get worse than that, yeah. And clean teeth. And I got clean yeah, teeth. Yeah, of course. So we'll, we'll put the video in the show notes. So it's Running Down a Dream by Bill Gurley. So first, before we get into it, let's talk about who is Bill Gurley. I mean, I know him as the general partner from Benchmark, which is a very much iconic Silicon Valley venture capital firm. But he has this mystique around him as almost this czar in investing where you can go through his hit list of things he's invested in. He was very close with Travis Kalanick of Uber. He did Nextdoor. He did Zillow, Stitch Fix. It's just a, a murderer's row of companies he's been a part of. But what, what else should people know about Bill Gurley? Yeah, he's one of those few like very iconic Silicon Valley investors. I have an incredible track record as you hit, but I think what makes him a little different from others is he's also been sharing his journey. So they used to have a blog. I still don't know if it's active, but I used to follow, also has a huge Twitter following and is very, is essentially a thought leader in investing in anything the new that's coming out, that's pioneering coming out of Silicon Valley. So yeah, he definitely has a huge followership, has interesting insights. And I think because of his position as well, has the ability to do patent recognition of what, what does and doesn't work. And I think some of the insights we'll hit on today come a lot from that pattern recognition by virtue of his position. Yeah, his blog <clears throat> was or is called Above the Crowd because he's also six foot nine. So he is a very <laughs> tall gentleman. But what's interesting about this talk is he got his MBA at the University of Texas in Austin. 
And he wanted to come back for the longest time to do a talk, but they wanted to get it right. And so he finally came back. And this is a talk that he did to the MBA students. And the whole theme is around like finding your dream job, the kind of with the theme of Tom Petty's running down a dream. And so let's talk about the framework that he used for this, because it kind of starts off, you're like, where's he going with these different stories? And then he connects the dots at the end. And you're like, oh, wow, that, that's amazing. So he takes five people. He looks at Bobby Knight, the basketball coach, Bob Dylan, the musician, Danny Meyer, the, the chef and restauranteur and entrepreneur, looks at Sam Hinkie, a, a general manager from the 76ers, very much into the Moneyball type of sports analytics. And then finally, Katrina Lake, the CEO of Stitch Fix. And he takes all of their journeys and, and really breaks them down, but then shows the common thread that weaves them all together. And the way he broke it down was into three things, like one, finding your passion, two, honing your craft. And then three, which I thought was really interesting, was developing mentors in a peer group to set you up to succeed with your dream job. But that was the the overarching framework of this. But I mean, what are your thoughts on like first how he approached that and even the main takeaways from how he outlined his talk? I thought it was very interesting that he picked five people that are really unrelated in very different fields. And that's very intentional because I think it makes his point stronger. And whether you want to open restaurants or you're trying to create a data-driven Silicon Valley fashion startup, you have the same process that works in, in these different scenarios. But his, his process is essentially these common threads, common elements that he's seen across these people, how they have really focused on self-study. And as you said, like building a peer group, so they essentially have the best insights possible and building a, a career largely based on that. And I think the way he frames it and what all of these people have in common is like they first initially kind of figured out what they wanted to study for a long time and what they wanted to be the best in their field at. And I think once you figure that out, you're, you're going to be the best person at that. You're more likely to attract capital and essentially create your own luck in that scenario. So I think they all had the advantage of figuring that out relatively early. I think maybe the only exception to that is the 76ers manager, where he figured it out, I think, when he was an MBA. But the others kind of figured it out early and they kind of mapped out their career, found the right peer group, and became, in a very relatively short period of time, because quite frankly, they didn't have a lot of competition, the best in their field, and were able to leverage that to create these big successes that he talks about. So yeah, that's, I think, one interesting aspect. Yeah. And the other interesting thing with all of those people, because he makes a really cool point in the talk. It's like, you can't always be the the smartest. You, you can't be the, the fastest or, or whatever that would be, but you actually can know the most. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he really gets into honing your craft and all five of these people were just students of their craft where like he would get into the nuance and the details they would know about their specific category. And it was insane. And that kind of made me think, am I actually really honing in on my crafts? Because we're in this world, we're like, oh, we're growth experts. And I hate being called an expert because I think when once you put your own expert title on yourself, it's like you're done. It's like you've reached it. You always need to have that, that student's mindset. But it was really impressive to see all five of those people and how they hone in on their craft. Yeah. And he also gives a time frame that in six months, really, of dedicated effort, 
you can at least become the most knowledgeable in your social circle, especially if it's a relatively new topic, right? And within a year, you can literally be the top five in your profession. And that's very doable. I've seen many other people do it as well. So there really is no excuse if you're quote unquote passionate about it, or if that's the thing you want to focus on to achieve, to be the most knowledgeable person in that field. And especially nowadays with low cost information, we really have no excuse. There, those barriers that used to exist in the past or gatekeepers are no longer there. So it's really a matter of, do you have the effort and the commitment to make it happen rather than the thing being possible? Totally. Yes. Six months. That sounds very doable. So I thought it'd be interesting to go person by person to see what are your main takeaways from it. Because we, we have this section we like to do for blog posts, like best quotes, but it's kind of hard to pull quotes from a YouTube video as I'm listening to this like on the go. So let, let's start with Bobby Knight. What were your main takeaways from the talk on, on Bobby Knight, which by the way, is the basketball coach for Indiana Hoosiers, who when he retired had more wins than any other coach in NCAA history. Yeah, I think what was interesting about him is just how he went through the process of finding mentors, finding the, the best person on the East Coast or the West Coast during his time and befriending them and sharing insights. I think that definitely stood out, but it's I think him, it's more about the peer group that he established earlier on in his career that came back to, to help him out later later on. But yeah, I think that was definitely the biggest takeaway from him. Yeah, I agree. Because if you really want to accelerate your knowledge, find those mentors that can really give you that smart cut to know more. But it's not just finding them. It's what do you do to engage them so they actually want to invest time in you? Because he gives this story how... Bobby Knight really wanted to talk to Pete Newell, who was the best basketball mind at the time. And when he first met him, he literally asked him to sit down with him at half court. And Bobby Knight already had 72 plays on three by five flashcards. And he went through the plays one by one with him. So if you're Pete Newell and you're already this basketball savant that loves nerding out on it, and you see somebody come to you this prepared, you're going to want to talk. So it's not just finding the mentors, but being able to to really engage them and, and, and get them excited about mentoring you. The other thing for me that I thought was a cool quote from Bobby Knight was when he says, everyone has the will to win, but do you have the will to practice? practice. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was like, yeah. oh, that that is so spot on because sometimes it's those days, it's three o'clock, four o'clock, you're getting a little burnt out. But if you can put in those extra hours, man, that that makes all the difference. Yeah, for sure. I agree completely there. So let's go to Bob Dylan. On on his talk with him, what I thought was the most interesting was not just how he was a student of, of folk music and nerded out on it, but he literally hitchhiked across the country to New York because if I'm going to be great at this, I have to be in the epicenter. And it's happening in New York. It's happening in Greenwich Village. And that's where every night I can go study music. And I, I think about that a lot myself. Like, if, if we want to be the best with what we do in our business, like where is that? Because sometimes being remote independent, things can happen online, but other times, especially with music or entertainment, you've got to be geographically where those people are. But I thought that one was pretty impressive. Yeah. I think you've hit on a big, big idea there being at the epicenter where you essentially have your mentors or some of the newer insights or the pioneering work is being done and you're right there at the center of it. I think strategically thinking that's a wise decision, but he used to mimic a lot of the greats in his music just to master and unlearn. And there are a lot of people that were fascinated by that. I think that's a very interesting way to learn is by first getting good at what are what the best are already kind of doing and then adding your own your spin to it. 
I believe he also won a Pulitzer in literature, by the way, which was quite surprising. I didn't know about that. That was quite shocking. But Yeah, that was super impressive. All right. So we'll go to Danny Meyer, which I feel like he spent the most time on Danny Meyer because yeah. he works with him through, I think, Shake Shack and, and some other in, investments. So Danny Meyer, what was impressive about that was he was working in sales, making six figures. He was about to go to law school. And I think as you get older, you can have these golden handcuffs where it can be hard to make that transition. But he he's like, no, forget that. He went from making six figures to all of a sudden, he's traveling Europe, learning how to cook. He's basically losing money. But he just went deep into honing the craft. And even on the flight back, talked about it was an eight-hour flight. And he had to use that entire time just to organize his notes. And really seeing the detail that he did to come up with this restaurant concepts, even when he was building out the barbecue restaurant, he talked about driving through Austin and on a 36-hour road trip, he basically tasted 14 different variations of chopped pork that were different by smoke, heat, amount of vinegar in the sauce, how much crackling gets tossed in. And Lily wrote down all those little details And whenever you know that much information, you're just setting yourself up for success. And so seeing how one, he made that inflection point, but two, how he honed his craft and hearing like the detail and the nuance, it just made me reflect, man, am I really trying to up my game to to that level? But his story was pretty impressive. Yeah, I think the Danny Meyer profile is definitely the most impressive for me as well. Maybe also because you said he has a very personal relationship with him. So he has more insight and they should, they've shared more stories. But I think what's also fascinating there is he's taken, or at least Danny has taken some of the, as, as a, his mother used to be a travel agent or a journalist, I think back when he was young and forced him to journal. So he kind of honed that skill of taking notes and all the notes he used to take when he was traveling through Europe or all around food. He kind of gathered all those insights, pulled out the, the, the essence of each and built his career around that. But I think the level of research and even calls the people he used to travel with on that Austin trip, tasting the barbecued researchers, and that level of work is, is quite impressive. And as you can see, like he's Duffy has a the career to back it up as well now. So yeah, yeah. As an aside, I think good note taking is a superpower. We talk about that yeah. at our company. If someone's trying to get a job here, if they really wanted to get hired, like after a meeting, if they sent me their notes and how they organized it, I would fall in love. There was someone we used to work with, Jeremy. That dude was a strong note taker. I was very impressed at how he organized his notes and so quickly. So anyway, super underrated superpower, note taking. Yeah, absolutely. And not just that, actually, if I can add one thing, it's processing the notes because I know a lot of good note takers, but it's like they, they write it for the sake of writing it, but they never revisit it. They never process it. They never use it. But I think what's interesting about Danny Meyer is like that eight hour flight home, he's kind of reworking those notes, trying to make meaning out of it. So like that second part is actually often harder, but even more important. It's like really 80% of the juice gets squeezed during that, 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 that processing time. So if we did a podcast episode on how to take good notes, how many listens do you think it would get? Do you think it's single digits or do you think we could crack 11? Cause I think it's interesting, but are we like the only two people that would be interested in that? The thing is, I think you'd have a few people, but then a lot of repeat listeners, so the same people listening to it five times again and again. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's worth a shot. Yeah, we'll have to come up with some real clickbaity title to get people yeah. into note-taking. Okay, so sorry, I'm staying on track. Let's go to Sam Hinkie. So what were the main takeaways you had with Sam Hinkie, who he was working in 
think it was consulting. He was in Australia. He read the book Moneyball. And again, this is another inflection point. He drops what he's doing. Again, what he's doing isn't as risky. He goes to get an MBA. But actually, he got accepted to Harvard and Stanford. But he basically interviewed them. And he said no to Harvard because Stanford was like, oh, no, we can help you with the sports management classes and and make that work for you. And the fact that he was so focused and knew what he wanted that's something I'm a little envious of because when you have that much conviction, one, in what you want, two, you do the research, you become this unstoppable force where all these doors start to open, whether it's at Stanford, then meeting Michael Lewis, meeting Billy Bean, and then going down that path. But for me, it was, it was pretty impressive to, to see just how his focus accelerated his growth, because I think you already said that, like within nine years, he went from learning about this industry to being a general manager of general manager of an NBA team, which is like the pinnacle of, of what you can do. Absolutely. I think you're right. I think it's interesting as, as Bill Gurley was telling that story and the story of knowing exactly when he wanted to do when he read that book. It's almost as if you go into tunnel vision and instead of seeing 100 possible options or doors in front of you, you see just the six that will take you to the next level. And I feel like people like that have a real advantage where they, instead of decision overwhelm or many options, they're really leaving, they're living a life where they, they the next options or the, the peer group that, or the place they need to live, it, it becomes self-evident right away. And I think that's, that's what I made my main takeaway from that, but also how we had, it wasn't all smooth sailing. There were a lot of ups and downs and some fights uh, with some of the, the owners of these, these institutions you worked at. So. That was also an interesting takeaway. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And then the final one, Katrina Lake. It's funny because like he's doing this talk to MBA students that are probably wanting to do a startup and raise VC money. It's not until the last one does he get into that example. And so my my main thing with the Katrina Lake one was around how she sought out the right mentors, kind of similar to Bobby Knight. But in addition to seeking out the right mentors, she got them engaged enough to either invest in her or actually come work for her, which was yeah, so very impressive. impressive. And because I believe she was working in consulting, she went and got her MBA. And then after that, that's what opened doors to get the right people to come in and work at Stitch Fix, build the data science team, and, and really grow it. That, that's something where it made me want to go listen to her speak to see like what her communication style is. Because people like that, I'm, I'm very impressed with when you can speak to your mission, but do it in a way where it's a magnet for talent. And so that was what was the most impressive for me was the mentorship group and peer group she built. Yeah, even with her, I think what's what stood out to me is just how she kind of knew what she wanted to build, you know, a data-driven fashion company. So I think when you have that level of clarity, you can also like create that narrative of this huge mission that you're tackling. And he said, kind of use that to attract the right talent. But it's funny how Bill Gurley says, as VCs, the one thing they look out for is companies that have inventory costs. Stitch Fix definitely has a lot of that, but they still invested in them nonetheless because of the, the incredible talent that they have on the team. And yeah, I think there's a lot to say about her. I bet I'd say those are the highlights for sure. Yeah. And the and just to kind of reiterate, as you went through the five people, the common themes were first find your passion, right? Because that has to set the foundation for this long path to having your dream career or job. The second was honing your craft, 
like being in the top 5% of your industry or your category because you know so much. And then the third was really developing mentors in a peer group. Of those three categories, what are your main takeaways from that? I was actually recently watching a video where Mr. Beast, the famous YouTuber, was explaining his process. And it's funny how he was also very similar, by the way. It's pretty much an exact duplicate or of the, the process that we was talking about. But he was specifically talking about his how you'd rely on his peer group. Essentially, if it's one person learning, let's say there are 10 insights that you get. But if there are 10 people that are a part of your peer group and you're all learning and you're all sharing your insights and each person has 10 insights, then you have 100 insights. It's 10x the amount of learnings. So I thought that was that was really interesting. It was top of mind when I was rewatching the, the Bill Gurley video as well. So peer group, I think, is super effective. It just multiplies your learning. The cost of learning goes down dramatically when you have a strong peer group that's on the same mission pretty much. A really good point. I mean, it makes me want to create peer groups for everything that we're doing to 10x the learning and, and to just accelerate what we know, but also to open doors. I mean, my, my main takeaway was when you talk about finding your passion, I also thought the counter to that is what are you saying no to? Because to say yes to that one thing, it means you also need to be very strong and have conviction in where you're saying no. And that's definitely where I struggle. And, and that can come at the cost of the second point, which is after you find your passion, then you can hone in on your craft. Because once you know that one thing, all you want to do is, is go deeper, nerd out on it. Because by saying yes to other things, you're really crippling yourself with that one thing where you, you could truly, truly be great. And then yeah. the, on developing mentors, for me, I don't know about you, but a lot of times, like I think working hard is like head down, looking at my laptop and working and kind of keeping to myself, I've really had to force myself to put myself out there to meet more people. And I've joined like an entrepreneurship group. And I'll be honest, that's been huge. Even you and I doing this podcast, even you coming on like as, as a partner has been huge. But I, I think you and I could invest in that more. We're both kind of naturally like wanting to keep to ourselves, but it's, it's something we, we should be intentional about because some of the best opportunities in my career have been when you do that cold email, you go to that stupid event and you meet somebody, but it's how are you doing that in an intentional way? And like, how are we being proactive? Okay. If we really want to be get the startup studio thing, who are the best five people in the world? What are we doing to talk to them in a way where they'd want to talk to us? So that, that one really got me thinking. Absolutely. That last part of what you just said actually is very powerful, but I think what's, I, I think the secret power of this entire like video or this framework for thinking is it's not necessarily what are you passionate about. It's what do you want to study for a long time? It reframes it in, in, in the context of what are you willing to put a lot of effort into being good at that you will obviously have an advantage over, over other people in the market. And when you frame it that way, obviously, when you have an interest in that thing, a natural interest, I feel like meeting those people, Jim, or taking advantage of those opportunities that present will be much easier. Whether, But when you're that person who doesn't actually have an interest in it, doesn't want to spend a long time studying, and it's just the next logical step in your on your career track, you're going to half-ass it. But when it's natural and you're actually interested in meeting that person for its own sake, because you're passionate about what they do, or like you have a natural interest, I feel like it's, it's much easier to have those conversations, much easier to go to those events, much easier to record a podcast on it as well. So. Um, yeah, I think that framing is also very effective. Yeah, that's a really good call out. For me, it was 
he talked about as you develop your mentorship group and your peer group and you have wins, you have successes, don't take the credit, give it to other people and don't forget to thank those people along the way. And he gave the story yeah. of one professor that he had that he'd have these big wins and he would send a note or a gift to them. And that professor, I think, passed away a year before and he had no regrets. He's like, I'm so happy and thankful. I, I told him how I, how I felt. Because I even think about that, like early in my career, I would like work so hard to get into investment bank. And I said like a hundred letters out, I finally got a job. I was so dumb, clueless. I didn't know what I was doing. But like one managing director was amazing to me and was like the reason why I like did somewhat decent there. And so I always think about that. And even today I'm like, oh, I remember when I learned that from John or whatever. And I, he doesn't know that. I was like, I need to write him a letter ASAP. So that's something I started to work on. But I, I thought that one was it was a really good kind of full circle perspective to give on it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Another one for me is just the uncomfortable feeling that in this day and age, information is free and everything you want to learn, everyone you want to meet is, is easily accessible, which really puts the onus on you to, to take that next step. We have zero excuses in this day and age to not learn that thing we've been interested in to not be number one in that thing that you have a natural interest in, especially like in a six month time period. So I think that's a very powerful message that kind of was definitely a next action for me, like to figure out like, why am I not doing that thing and that thing that I'm very interested in? Literally zero excuses. <laughs> zero excuses. Yeah. All right. So here's the tough one. I, I think I've got a good one though. What do you disagree with on this one? Man, that's, that's tough. The only thing I potentially disagree with is I wonder if this works in all scenarios. Like, I think that thing that you have a natural interest in must also be something that has market value. If you're the best, if you have a natural interest in like under underwater basket weaving or something like very like long tail that just doesn't have enough value in the marketplace, I wonder if that's useful. Maybe Bill Gurley might respond and say, but you're, you're naturally satisfied because you're pursuing that. So in your, like in your own world, you're like successful. It doesn't need to have a market value for you to be successful. So that could be maybe the, the, the opposing argument, but I'd say that's the only edge case where I, I might doubt this rate more. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I was thinking also along the lines, he says, follow your passion, which I do agree with, but I also think to your point, sometimes that doesn't work, but also where do you do work where it's actually not work and it's play? That way when yeah. others do it, it's work and they don't want to do it. But for you, it's something you enjoy. I think that's a huge unfair advantage to have if, if you can pull that pull that off. Yeah, for sure. 100%. I agree with everything you just said. And, and the last one I had is just in general, his talk was to MBA students. I don't think he should have done the talk to MBA students. Uh, yeah. I'm a little anti-MBA. I, I have... Uh, baggage there. I was like in finance. I was studying the GMAT. I literally paid all this money for the courses. I was on the final practice test and it was like 2 a.m. I was like, I can't do this. I was like, this is so miserable. The idea of doing this to go to school for two more years when all I want to do is start a business. And so I stopped right there on the spot. I just threw the books away. I tried to resell them. Nobody would buy them. I just... Threw them <laughs> uh, and so like... For me, I'm like, he's talking to MBA students. But I was like, I think all those people need to get out of that room, quit the MBA program and do their own thing. I do think MBAs are good agree you're the right school yeah. for the network, but you can yeah. learn everything you need to online. So he should have yeah. done that talk 
in a General Assembly town hall open stage to people that were about to walk in to take the GMAT and tell all of them to stop and listen to this talk. So that, that would have been my thing I disagree with. It's funny because he even tells you the example of how Denny Meyer's uncle kind of changed his life by preventing him from going into the law, the, the law path. And I think the, the ideal audience would have been undergrads who just like maybe third or fourth year are considering grad school. And this would be like titled, would have a very provocative title, like why you shouldn't go to grad school or something crazy like that. Essentially promote the self-study path, where if you have a natural interest in something, you don't need someone to give you permission. You don't need the, the, uh, the certificate that tells you that you did this. If you have self-study, you will learn it, especially in this day and age where everything is, is easily accessible. So I think that's that's where I would probably have that speech. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it might have been hard for him to say that in the MBA classroom yeah, at course. UT Austin, but I, I yeah. strongly agree. All right, so why is this iconic? I'll let you go first. I'm a huge fan of anything that's written or produced by someone that's had enough reps and they're able to do a lot of pattern matching. And I'm maybe biased, but I like the whole idea of the anti-passion, like the, the work angle instead of you know just sitting around and waiting for something to land on your lap. So I think I'm just attracted to these ideas naturally. That's why I think it's epic or iconic. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The pattern matching across like all his experience was a huge insight. And then I kind of already hit on who should read this. I think it's people thinking about getting an MBA that should not because of this video. And then the second was each person that he broke down had this inflection point where they're going down path A and then they just stop in their tracks. I've got to go path B, even though it's more risky. I'm not going to make money in the short term, but it's what I have to do. Because I think everybody struggles with, oh, like, when do I do that thing? Now's not the right time. I mean, it's never a good time. So I I loved how he showed those examples of those inflection points, because I think people need to hear that because it's hard to, to make the jump. Yeah, if I could just add one thing to that as well. I think the biggest advantage in pursuing a path like this is you're winning on the process because you have a natural interest in it. When you're doing that thing, you, like you don't have to wait until you reach some finish line and the world recognizes your efforts. It's when you're studying in seclusion, because you have such an interest in that thing, you're getting that satisfaction. You feel like you're aligned, you're on your purpose and mission, and you're always getting that positive feedback. So I think when Danny was was in the red for for several years there, he was doing what he was passionate about, even though he probably didn't see the, the the success for for like many years after that like he was happy so that's that's something to think think about whereas other people were like very focused on the, the the final mile kind of miss out on all of that so i think that's definitely a huge takeaway yeah if you're just doing it for the money playing the long game with these it, yeah. it will not work and you kind of hit on that as well that that's a good call yeah. out well sweet well jonathan we finally did it very i'll start listening to you more often but really good choice man thank you Yeah, awesome, Jim. Very excited to finally do this one. I think it's going to be very helpful for some people. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. 
After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growthit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.